General Smedley Butler, the Marine General from Pennsylvania. I'm very excited to bring this to you today. A little bit of uh, bonus content, really, in the form of what we're going to provide to you is uh, going to be an audio book. Now, obviously, it's not my own creative work. It was created by Major General Smedley Butler quite some time ago, uh, over 100 years ago, actually. But it is available in the public domain, free to listen to, and you can actually listen to the original. I believe it's done in his voice as well, if that interests you. Now, I think that you might get something out of listening to this version, well, one, because of my great oration for sure, but also I'm going to add in some current commentary, which of course will be my commentary, and you can decide for yourself, but you're going to get both. It's really amazing what he said in this work is like a fortune teller. And I want you to remember something as you're listening to this. He gave up a lot to bring these words to you, to be able to speak this truth. He sacrificed an awful lot personally, and he did a lot to fight for what is right. So listen up. War is a Racket by Major General Smedley Butler, narrated by Christopher Scott Kunkel, with commentary by Christopher Scott Kunkel. The contents are Chapter 1, War is a Racket, Chapter 2, Who Makes the Profits, Chapter 3, Who Pays the Bills, Chapter 4, How to Smash This Racket, and Chapter 5, To Hell with War. I'm going to provide this to you all today commercial-free, so you can just enjoy listening. If you know, I enjoy taking old work, uh, more, you know, uh, work that had been done a long time ago, and, and modernizing it, if you will. I did it when I translated Common Sense by Thomas Paine into modern English, and it's been incredibly popular, and so I'm excited to do this today as well. But what I'm going to do is put the different chapters up as separate podcasts that you can take this down in bite-sized chunks. But either way, I hope you'll subscribe to the show, subscribe to the podcast, and put your email on our email list at projectchaos.org. Smedley Darlington Butler was his full name, born in Westchester, Pennsylvania, July 30th, 1881. Educated at the Haverford School, which is an elite school here in the Philadelphia area. He was awarded two Congressional Medals of Honor. One, for the capture of Veracruz, Mexico in 1914, and two, for the capture of Fort Riviere in Haiti in 1917. He had a Distinguished Service Medal in 1919. He was a Major General in the United States Marine Corps, retired October 1st, 1931. He was a lecturer, also a Republican candidate for Senate in 1932, and ultimately died at Naval Hospital Philadelphia June 21st, 1940. I've been to that hospital quite a few times, and it's hallowed ground now that I realize that Smedley Butler himself had been there. Well, here we go. Chapter 1, War is a Racket. War is a Racket, it always has been, is possibly the oldest, easily and most profitable, surely the most vicious. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one in which the profits are reckoned in dollars and the losses in lives. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of the people. Only a small inside group knows what it's about. It's conducted for the benefit of the very few at the expense of the very many. 
One out of war, a few people make huge fortunes. In the World War I, a mere handful garnered the profits of the conflict. At least 21,000 new millionaires and billionaires were made in the United States during the World War. That many admitted their huge blood gains in their income tax returns. How many other war millionaires falsified their tax returns, no one knows. How many of these war millionaires shouldered a rifle? How many of them dug a trench? How many of them knew what it meant to go hungry in a rat-infested dugout? How many of them spent sleepless nights, frightened nights, ducking shells and shrapnel and machine gun bullets? How many of them parried a bayonet thrust of an enemy? How many of them were wounded or killed in battle? Out-of-war nations acquire additional territory. If they are victorious, they just take it. This newly acquired territory promptly is exploited by the few, the self-same few who wrung dollars out of blood in the war. The general public shoulders the bill. And what is the bill? This bill renders a horrible accounting, newly placed gravestones, mangled bodies, shattered minds, broken hearts and homes, economic instability, depression, and all its attendant miseries, back-breaking taxation for generations and generations. For a great many years as a soldier, I had a suspicion that war was a racket. Not until I retired to civil life did I fully realize it. Now that I see the international war clouds gathering as they are today, I must face it and speak out. Again, they are choosing sides. France and Russia met and agreed to stand side by side. Italy and Austria hurried to make a similar agreement. Poland and Germany cast sheep's eyes at each other, forgetting for the nonce, one unique occasion, their dispute over the posh corridor. Assassination of King Alexander of Yugoslavia complicated matters. Yugoslavia and Hungary, long bitter enemies, were almost at each other's throats. Italy was ready to jump in, but France was waiting. So was Czechoslovakia. All of them looking ahead to war. Not the people, not those who fight and pay and die, only those who ferment wars and remain safely at home to profit. There are 40 million men under arms in the world today, and our statesmen and diplomats have the temerity to say that war is not in the making. Well, hell's bells. Are those 40 million men being trained to be dancers? Not in Italy, to be sure. Premier Mussolini knows that they are being trained for. He, at least, is frank enough to speak out. Only the other day, in the International Coalition, the publication of Carnegie Endowment for International Peace said, and above all, fascism, the more it considers and observes the future and the development of humanity, quite apart from political considerations of the movement, believes neither in the possibility nor the utility of perpetual peace. War alone brings up to its highest tension all human energy and puts the stamp of nobility upon the people who have the courage to meet it. Undoubtedly, Mussolini means exactly what he says. His well-trained army, his great fleet of planes, and even his navy are ready for war. Anxious for it, apparently. His recent stand at the side of Hungary in the latter's dispute with Yugoslavia showed that. And the hurried mobilization of his troops on the Austrian border after the assassination of Dufaus showed it, too. There are others in Europe, too, whose saber-rattling presages war sooner or later. Air Hitler, with his rearming Germany and his constant demands for more and more arms, is an equal, if not greater, menace to peace. France only recently increased the term of military service for its youth from a year to 18 months. 
Yes, all over, nations are camping in their arms. The mad dogs of Europe are on the loose. In the Orient, the maneuvering is more adroit. Back in 1904, when Russia and Japan fought, we kicked out our old friends, the Russians, and backed Japan. And our very dangerous international bankers were financing Japan. Now the trend is to poison us against the Japanese. What does the open-door policy to China mean to us? Our trade with China is about $90 million a year. Or the Philippine Islands. We have spent about $600 million in the Philippines in 35 years. And we, our bankers and industrialists and speculators, have private investments there of less than $200 million. Then, to save that China trade of about $90 million or to protect these private investments of less than $200 million in the Philippines, we should be all stirred up to hate Japan and go to war. A war that might well cost of tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of lives of Americans, and many more hundreds of thousands of physically maimed and mentally unbalanced men. Of course, this loss, there would be a compensating profit, fortunes would be made, millions and billions of dollars would be piled up by a few munition makers, bankers, shipbuilders, manufacturers, meat packers, speculators. They would all fare well. Yes, they are getting ready for another war. Why shouldn't they? It pays high dividends. But what does it profit the men who are killed? What does it profit their mothers, their sisters, their wives, and their sweethearts? What does it profit their children? What does it profit anyone except the very few to whom war means huge profits? Yes, and what does it mean to profit the nation? Take our own case until 1898. We didn't own a bit of territory outside the mainland of North America. At that time, our national debt was a little more than a billion dollars. Then we became internationally minded. We forgot or shunted aside the advice of the father of our country. We forgot George Washington's warning about entangling alliances. We went to war. We acquired outside territory. At the end of the World War period, as a direct result of our fiddling in international affairs, Our national debt had jumped to over $25 billion. Our total favorable trade balance during the 25-year period was about $24 billion. As a result of all that, we ran a little behind year over year, and that foreign trade might well have been ours without the wars. It would have been far cheaper, not to say safer for the average American who pays the bill, to stay out of foreign entanglements. For very few, this racket, like bootlegging and other underworld rackets, brings fancy profits. But the cost of operations is always transferred to the people who do not profit. All this was presented and put together, as I mentioned, over 100 years ago, which is uh, really fascinating that he had this perspective after his different experiences. A big part of that experience that Smedley Butler had was his involvement in the Banana Wars which is a whole history in and of itself. But I think there's little doubt at this point that the Banana Wars were basically a campaign uh, that was really there to fuel corporate greed. It had nothing to do with, say, uh, expanding democracy or uh, you know, creating a, a broader free world or anything like that, or even human rights, really. It was purely for corporate greed. And Smedley Butler got to see all that, and he got to see the impact of it. And I want to just take a moment... Uh, to add a couple of my, my other uh, own comments to this. This problem that he identified, uh, that you just listened to, 
Over 100 years ago, in the numbers that we were talking, millions and billions, well, it's grown much longer. Our current defense spending is almost a trillion dollars a year. I would suffice to say with the money they're bending in, it's uh, building into it, it's not completely transparent. It's probably over a trillion dollars, all total, depending on how you count it. But by the reported numbers, it's slightly under a trillion dollars, a huge portion of our budget spending, massive really. And if you just step back and, and take a, a step away from that number, just to give you an idea of, of the size of this defense machine that the United States has created, bigger than anywhere in the world, it goes beyond battleships and tanks and things like that. But all this spending year over year would amount to the world's 20th largest economy if our military industrial complex was its own country. If our military industrial complex was its own country, think about that. It would be the 20th largest economy in the world. What is all that money producing? We have to ask ourselves. Now, only a a few large investment and defense firms are involved in this, and we're probably going to talk about that later on the podcast, but that's only part of the problem. And I don't view the fact that it's just a few firms as necessarily being the root of the problem, although that's part of the problem. I would suspect it's always been the case where you have these large international entanglements, as Smedley Butler would call them, uh, that there would only be a, a few very large companies that would be involved in that. These are serious matters, and you're going to go to your, your best and, and biggest to deal with all that. But the worst part is, in my opinion, the way that the influence is being bought, the legal payoffs that uh, are being done to silence people, silence senior leaders in particular, to follow orders right, and not do what's right. And we see a lot of this. We whether it's a retired general, they quickly get put on the payroll of something else. What are they doing? Their, their influence is being bought. Now, certainly, you could say the same thing while they're on active duty, but at least there's a, a, an allegiance there to the taxpayers on some level. Once that steps out, and it, it's being done by private industry with no transparency, well, then you have a different set of problems. What is that problem? Well, just imagine that your military leadership is not being completely loyal to the rank and file that they're there to serve, not being completely loyal to the country that they're there to serve. Instead, their loyalty is into the paycheck. Big problems result in all that. And we see it playing out with the problems that our military is having. There's been a loss of trust and confidence. But I want to back up a second and make a special point of something else that Smedley Butler pointed out, very, very important. It's something that I speak about a lot on the podcast and on the radio show. And it's very important. It's a a pillar of what we talk about on Project Chaos, and that is the sacrifice. The sacrifice that's made by veterans. You've got uh, young men and women, such as myself, my son, both my parents, my mother and my father, all of us served or are serving in the case of my son. And there's a sacrifice that gets made for that. We signed on to something to protect our country, to protect a way of life. And now through this corruption, through this racket, it's being turned into something else. But in the meantime, there are people that are being called to make incredible sacrifices, in some cases their lives being given up. And Smedley Butler did a great job of detailing in here, you know, the the impact of that on, on families. One of the chapters in my book, Victory Over Chaos, deals with this very issue. You know, we we say all gave some and some gave all. What does that mean in simple terms? Well, every veteran sacrifices something. 
Smedley Butler pointed it out, whether it's romantic relationships, time with family, being away, um, uh, all these different things. There's a little bit of sacrifice with every military service for everybody who joins the military. It's, it's an inherent part of it. All sacrifice some. But then we say that uh, you know, some uh, sacrificed everything. Those are the ones that gave their lives, and we honor them because obviously they did pay the highest price. But I'll say to you, it is not either of those two groups that suffers the most. How about the guy that comes home from Vietnam with Asian orange, and he can't work, and he's a mental mess, not the same person, and especially as he gets older, he gets sicker and sicker. This is suffering that goes on for years, and it's not just him. It's not just him. It's his family that has to support him and be caretakers, and they take on this burden as well. In some cases, it's the burden of children injured in combat. Now the the veteran parents have to take them back and care for them as well. Huge sacrifices. And I'll say to you, in all that, when all that's going on, let me me tell you this little story before I put it to you. You've heard of Arlington National Cemetery, over 600 acres. Every direction you look, the crosses are perfectly lined up. Everyone symbolizing one of the 1.3 million veterans that have died defending this country. But out California, I don't know if it's at Camp Pendleton or I believe it is Camp Pendleton. There's a little spot up on a hill up there. Doesn't look anything like what you see at Arlington National Cemetery. It's dirty, piles of rocks, crosses sticking out. Beer cans laying around the crosses. And these are where the Marines go to pay tribute to their own. This is what the young generation is doing. It's no Arlington National Cemetery. All this is very important to understand the sacrifice and the willingness to sacrifice. It's all good and necessary and vitally important to another S that I want to make, and that's survival that I keep talking about, our legacy. We need good fighters. We need a strong military. And this racket, this corruption, this lack of integrity is threatening that. We see it playing out right now. We need to restore that integrity if for no other reason than to fully respect the sacrifices of those who are serving. We owe it to them to do better. I don't know that we're ever going to take the profits out of war. I don't think that's going to be possible, and I don't see it as likely as happening. But the least we could do is be upfront, fully transparent about what's going on, who is making money, and how much, and why, and why do we really need to do this. We have wars going on, like the war in Ukraine. People don't even really understand the conflict. I was amazed at all the signs that that went up. I stand with Ukraine. It was quite moving, wasn't it? People who don't even know where Ukraine is. Nobody was calling for peace. It's important. I'm going to say it again. I'll say it many times. We need to start listening to people like Smedley Butler. Our country is being destroyed financially over these wars. And many, 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 many lives are being destroyed in the process. And it's senseless. It's a senseless waste. This country wasn't meant to be a, a war machine. It was meant to be something else. We should be feeding and providing for the world at the World Security Force. That's my opinion on the matter. We'll be back with Chapter 2, Who Makes the Profits? Stay tuned. We'll see you back there.